Get the right loan the first time with Bendigo Mortgage Brokers. We do all the shopping around for you and our home loan service is free. Contact Glenn McMahon at Bendigo Mortgage Brokers in View Street, Bendigo. That's Glenn McMahon at Bendigo Mortgage Brokers in View Street, Bendigo. Interchanger, the revolutionary app that's been built specifically for Australian football. For $100 per club, you can take all the guesswork out of managing your players' time on the ground. The Hawthorne and Bulldogs footy departments have used Interchanger in the past four grand finals. Contact Murray Bird via interchanger.com.au. That's Murray Bird via interchanger.com.au. Welcome to the Country Footy Show on PD Footy. Episode 16, 2017. My name is Paul Daffy. The Country Footy Show is brought to you by Bendigo Mortgage Brokers and interchanger.com.au. As you've just heard, the Country Footy Show is also brought to you by the Standard Hotel in Fitzroy. Hard to find, easy to love. The Standard Hotel in Fitzroy. Go to thestandardhotel.com.au for details. And I want to thank um, the Standard Hotel publican, Paul O'Brien, for coming on board. I've always loved the Standard. I'm going there, having a drink, having a chat, some uh, looking at the retro memorabilia they've got on the walls, footy and music, um, quite kitsch, quite tasteful. It's actually a, it's a great place to spend a few hours, so thank you, Paul. Some listeners might know, or many listeners actually would know Paul as a uh, former player and coach of note from Euroa and Daniloquin, ended his career at Longwood, having bought the uh, Longwood Hotel. You sort of can't buy the pub in the town and be a footballer and not play for the local club. So that's where Paul ended his, his career before heading down to Melbourne and um, taking over at the Standard. So I encourage everyone listening to uh, go to the Standard in the back streets of Fitzroy. Uh, get in touch with me. We'll have a beer if you like. Um, right. We'll go on to my other matters. Uh, sorry, my guest. I should mention my guest. Of course, uh, not to be forgotten. Well, he's a Collingwood Premiership player, so he'll never be forgotten. Brent McCaffer played in the 2010 Premiership with Collingwood uh, in just his second season of senior footy, so that was a wonderful achievement. Uh, and then Brett had setbacks later in his career before retiring after the last season and uh, going back to his junior club this year, Kilcunda Bass, who play in the newly constituted West Gippsland League. Uh, Brent is a co-coach and he speaks, he's an extremely engaging speaker. It's one of those blokes you could chat to for hours and you... Um, don't know where the time's gone. That's certainly uh, that's certainly happened in our conversation. So I encourage you to uh, have a listen to Brent and follow the fortunes of Kilcunder Bass as well as Collingwood. He's, uh, he's working at Collingwood in the welfare and development area. And he seems, uh, just by speaking to him in this interview, to be a good fit for that particular job. Uh, last week I did a road trip, uh, basically promoting my book, the uh, Behind the Goals, The History of the Victorian Country Football League. I went to... Uh, uh, Oyen on Wednesday night, Donald Thursday night, and then held a lunch in Bendigo on Friday. Uh, Oyen, fantastic, thanks to Bernie Kelly and the Hilltop Hotel, Motel, sorry, uh, the footy club and the motel um, put me up there, so thank you. Uh, Bernie was a wonderful host, uh, sold many books, heard many tales, especially intrigued about the 1971 Mellow League Grand Final between Toyeja and Kyamel, and it was great to meet the great Boozer Robertson, a legend up up that way. Mallee football. In 1980, he was in the first ever VCFL rep team. They played in Canberra. Boozer at the time was the coach of Woolmerlang Lascelles. His uh, home club was TPG, Tempe Goya Pachawalik. But he went to uh, Woolmerlang Lascelles as coach for a couple of years. 
So from the Mallee League, he ended up playing in the VCFL team that year. So it was some achievement. Boozer told me that OUN United is an amalgam of 43 clubs, if you do the family tree. I thought it was 16, which I thought was bizarre. But if you go back down through the decades, there are 43 clubs that have eventually fed into what is now OUN United. OUN United, of course, last year won the Sunraiser League flag in their first season in the competition and are going along nicely again this year. Uh, listen to an interview with Joe Farrah uh, in mid-June if you uh, want to get some idea of how Owen United are travelling and why they're going so strongly. Joe was a, a wonderful interviewee. All right, uh, Donald, Danny, Danny Forrest. It's wonderful to go to Donald, home of two of the most significant VCFL administrators over the years, Ted Chessels over 30 years and Alan Dunstan, 21 years. So... Um, yeah, almost well, over 50 years of service to the VCFL from two administrators happened to be from Donald. They stre- Their period stretched from 1932 to 1993, I think it was. Um, so what's that? That's 60 years, actually. So maybe I've got my figures wrong there. But in any case, a long, a long, long time, Donald administrators, and I heard some great stories about the Donald Footy Club in the North Central League. Uh, then lunch in Bendigo, thanks to Glenn McMahon from Bendigo Mortgage Brokers for being the guest of honour. And Jeff Southby was the main speaker. Jeff was fantastic. Had a strong representation from the Sanders Footy Club, thanks to Chris Green, Mark O'Farrell, uh, Rob Walsh and the boys, Steve Watson, uh, and also Jeff's family actually was there, as well as a lot of my family friends, the McMahons, O'Farrells, as I mentioned, uh, and uh, many others, uh, Carol McKinstry actually, and husband Rowan. Uh, Carol's ahead of AFL Central Victoria these days. Um, I shouldn't go through the whole guest list. We'll be here all day. But uh, to those I've left out, thanks for coming. We had a wonderful day. Next day I was going to go to Eagle Hawk. But I'd gone to see a fr- to see Eagle Hawk in Sandhurst. I'd gone to see a, went to see a friend in Strathfield, say, in the morning, and then just kept going, really. Saw another friend in Tulane, so I dropped into Mount Pleasant for the second half. Spoke to Mick Byrne, the president, co-president, actually. Got a couple of little snippets. Not a great match. Mount Pleasant ended up losing by 20 goals. They're struggling on the bottom of the uh, Heathcote District League this year. Most um, unlike Mount Pleasant to be on the bottom, but they're confident in coming back up. Mick told me that they've signed Darren Walsh, son of my old coach at Golden Square, Brian Walsh, to be the coach at Mount Pleasant next year, which is a bit of a coup. Darren's been um, opposition analyst for West Coast for the last six or seven years. But he's moving back to Bendigo and taking up the job at Mount Pleasant, so good luck to Darren. Mick also told me that he got a, he got a phone call during the week, or maybe early last month, uh, from a player from North, North, the old North Heathcote Footy Club who uh, had had a Mount Pleasant jumper in his house for 50 years. So he played in the 1966 Grand Final against Mount Pleasant, then in the fashion of the time, they swapped jumper. He swapped jumpers with his opponent. And if you see the picture of the 1966 VFL Grand Final, you'll see Daryl Baldock hoisting St Kilda's Premiership Cup while wearing a Collingwood jumper. That's probably the most famous jumper reversal picture after a Grand Final. And in that year, this particular player, I didn't get his name. He's uh, he's had a Heathcote, Mount Pleasant jumper ever since then. He rang uh, Mount Pleasant and said, "Look, I'm going to give it. It's been haunting me for 50 years. It might be time to give it back." So Mount Pleasant are going to make a bit of a fuss about receiving that jumper back in the weeks to come. All right, well, before we head into the interview with Brent McCaffrey, I'll give you some context about the West Gippsland League. Um, 
the ladder to this stage, this late stage of the season. Top five, Dalston on 50 points, Inverloch Conwack 46, Coral in 44, Kui Rupp Nanagoon 32. Outside the five, Phillip Island and Kilcunda Bass on 32. So Kilcunda Bass just outside the five in percentage. Garfield on 20, Bunyip 8, Corumburra Bina 4. Worth mentioning a few results from the weekend actually. So Nanagoon defeated Kilcunda Bass by 15 points. Uh, but also, Inverloch Conwack defeated Dalston by 28 points. Andrew Samilis, best on ground. That was in the first versus second. So the second team knocked off the top team there. And Bunyip defeated Corin Barabina by four points at the other end of the ladder to get their second win of the season. Nathan Lice out best on ground. I'll be back speaking to Brent McCaffrey from the, from the Kilcunda Bass Footy Club after the break. Interchanger, the revolutionary app that's been built specifically for Australian football. For $100 per club, you can take all the guesswork out of managing your players' time on the ground. The Hawthorne and Bulldogs footy departments have used Interchanger in the past four grand finals. Contact Murray Bird via interchanger.com.au. That's Murray Bird via interchanger.com.au. Get the right loan the first time with Bendigo Mortgage Brokers. We do all the shopping around for you and our home loan service is free. Contact Glenn McMahon at Bendigo Mortgage Brokers in View Street, Bendigo. That's Glenn McMahon at Bendigo Mortgage Brokers in View Street, Bendigo. And welcome back to the Country Footy Show and PD Footy with thanks to Bendigo Mortgage Brokers, interchanger.com.au, the revolutionary app in Australian football and the standard hotel in Fitzroy. My guest today is a former Collingwood player, Collingwood Premiership player actually, and current uh, co-coach of the Kilcunda Bass Footy Club, Brent McCaffer. Welcome, Brent. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, is that right? You're a co-coach at Kilcunda Bass? Yeah, co-coach. So uh, one of my good mates, uh, Ben Vague, I, uh, I co-coach alongside him and he's played at the club uh, for the last nine or ten years and um, obviously being my old junior club as well. Um, Getting back there and, and doing the job alongside him, uh, it's been very enjoyable. So how, how does it work? I mean, with, with co-coaches, you live in Melbourne, you, you still, well, you, yep. you work at Collingwood, we'll talk about that a bit later on, but how does the co-coaching at Kilcunda Bass work? Yeah, well, um, the idea was, like, with me, myself coming down and um, primarily you know, going, going to be playing most games, um, my first time, I suppose, coaching a team, um, and with, with Ben, sort of, you know, he's only going to play a couple of games here or there, and um, you know, mainly with him being on the bench and sort of operating things from there, whilst giving me the opportunity while the game was going to be able to, to just play um, and not have to think about, you know, coaching whilst out on the ground. So um, it's something that's worked really well uh, for most, most of the year. And um, yeah, as I, as I said, with him, him operating from the bench and. You know, pulling the changes and, and, and seeing it from a different vantage point to what I would, um, I suppose, being out playing the game. So, are you, are you enjoying the coaching? I mean, as you say, this is your first first go at it. How do you like it? It's been challenging. It's um, it's, it's been a lot different to what I initially thought, and the actual the amount of time that that goes into it, I don't think I was initially prepared for or had a full understanding. Um, or an appreciation, I suppose, of, of how much work goes into it. It almost it is, it is like a second job, and it almost takes up as much time as my actual job. To to be honest, and you, you're constantly thinking about it, and you know what you can do during the week, and come game day, and playing the, the game over in your head, and, and little things like that. And um, but all those things, as, as challenging as it is, it's so enjoyable as well. You know, the thrill of 
you know, the little things and, you know, getting a victory or, or seeing a player that, you know, come through and, and, and plays really well and helping improve guys. It's, there's so many challenges and so many different aspects, but at the whole thing, it, it just makes it so enjoyable and very rewarding as well. So, um, yeah, enjoying can, it. Can you give an example of something that has given you enjoyment? You mentioned a, a player perhaps coming through um, or a victory that you might have achieved against the odds. Is there, is there any the development of certain players that's uh, yeah, well, particularly pleased you. Yeah, look, a couple of younger guys that, that we've had, you know, we've had three guys that are, you know, 16, 17 years of age that, that have played the majority of the year in our side and I suppose at the start of the year wouldn't have thought that that would be the case at all. Um, so just seeing those guys come in and, and to firstly, you know, thought they might play one or two games but mm. they've come in and just played their role and, you can see those young guys, especially they hang on to every word that you say, um, give them simple instructions and stuff like that. So I think that's, that's been the most enjoyable part of these young guys that, that we've had come in and you see them develop and the growth and the confidence that they get by coming out and playing scenes footy and stuff like that. But who, are they, who are they, Brent? Who are these young guys? Yeah, well, those guys are uh, Seth Bent, uh, Adam Honeyset, uh, and Brad Aldwell um, are those three guys. And they're... Yeah, you know, it just holds the future of the club in such good stead, those young blokes. But um, there's so many other young guys as well, like a Mitch Witham and a, um, a Jaden Burgess, who, you know, they're 18, 19, 20. And, you know, we've had those guys playing across half-forward wing at the start of the year, and it wasn't really working out for those blokes. They were sort of struggling and trying to find a way. And we ended up um, throwing them to a half-back flank in about halfway through the year. And it's just, it's turned, turned their seasons around, and it's given us a great a whole new look off halfback where we probably needed to find some guys to, to create some run and carry um, and some speed off halfback and those two blokes have that in spades and so that's been a couple of few good stories from our end throughout the year and uh, something going forward in the, in the coming years that they're only going to grow and get even better. Do these guys go to school together or they're, they're, they're local being 16 and 17 they must be locals I suppose or What's their yeah, story? so the, the three young guys are 16, 17 year olds. Um, yeah, they go to school together uh, in Montague. Um and the other two they've just come out of school in the last year or two. But they're they're all all local guys as well um, that live around the area. So that's, that makes it even more pleasing when they're local guys that have come through um, and, and played all their footy at best from a young age. Was it, was that your story as well? You went to school in Montague and played at Kilcunda Bass as a kid. Uh, yeah, so I, I moved down to. Uh, I've always lived in Gippsland. I was, I was lived in East Gippsland. I moved down to Phillip Island uh, to San Remo as a 14-year-old. Um, and I went to school at New Haven College um, to the completion of Year 12. And, and once I moved down as a 14-year-old, I, I joined up at Kilcona Bass with a couple of mates that I ended up going to school with. So, yeah, spent, spent four, four or so years there before um, obviously then moving up to Melbourne and, and uh, playing AFL footy up there. Okay. Whereabouts in East Gippsland did you grow up out of interest? Uh, so I lived down at uh, a small little place called Glen Maggie, which is down, uh, down near Hayfield, Sale, Mafra, um, around that area. I went to high school at Mafra Secondary College. Yep. Um, and yeah, and, and played my junior footy um, under 12s, under 14s at the Hayfield Football Club. Okay. So Glen Maggie it was, wasn't it? They, they've, they've, they've still got a club, haven't they? They're playing the North Gippsland. Yeah, so Hay- Hayfield's the club there, yeah, which is about, oh, about a two-minute drive from Glen Maggie. So, uh, um, yep. yeah, there's not much down there. There's six and, and a big lake it's sort of renowned for. Uh, what was that, a big lake? A big lake and, uh, and plenty of trees. There's, there's not much else there down at Glen Maggie. <laughs> well, I think Hayfield's actually produced a few players over the years. Um, produced a few players, yeah, and a, and a few premierships as well over the years. 
Okay. All right. Now, Brent, you, you go and you played at Gippsland Power and then were drafted, taken to the... We'll just briefly go on your career. Um, taken at two, in the 2007 rookie draft at number 26 and you sort of battled, yep. battled through your early years at Collingwood then cemented your yep. place and you showed yourself to have good timing when you cemented your, your place in 2010 before the uh, Coll- Collingwood surged through the finals. Tell us about those early years at Collingwood. Yeah, um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the good timing there. Um, yeah, so I arrived at Collingwood as a rookie in uh, 2007 and I, I was always a, a pretty shy sort of a kid and um, you know, a confidence player and arriving there, I never had really any great expectations of going on and you know, playing at the club for 10 years, which ended up happening. Um, originally, I was just really happy to be to be picked up, to be rookied and, and to, get, to get the opportunity to, to be in an AFL club, which is something... You know, most young guys that play footy always want to do. So, um, yeah, those first couple of years, I was I was on the rookie list um, and wasn't sure what was going to happen at the end of those two years, whether they were going to keep me on or that was going to be the end of it. I um, was lucky enough to, to be put on the senior list for my third year where I ended up playing five games in 09 in my first year and um, played a couple of finals, um, which was a great experience. And then... Um, yeah, as you said, the next year, 2010, it sort of it just all clicked for the footy club. We had a really young, uh, really young side, really strong side, and um, a really disciplined team that just we all knew our role um, and just played our role. We, we probably weren't the most talented list out there, but we were just so strong in in all knowing each other's games and knowing what we had to do to get the best out of each other. And it all sort of clicked that second half of the year. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of that and, and play in a great side that you know, went on and and, uh, and dominated that, the back end of that year and, and won a grand final. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. And, yeah, to, to to call myself a premiership player is something extremely proud of and extremely grateful to be a part of. No doubt. Now, just b- b- before before we talk about the premiership, I always like to ask ex-AFL players about their first game. Uh, yep. But in your case, it was extraordinary. Your first game, yep. you were a late inclusion for round five, 2009, which happened to be the yep. Anzac Day match against Essendon. Tell us about your first game. Yeah, you, you couldn't write a better script, uh, really. Um, my, my family are massive Essendon uh, fans as well, particularly my old man. And um, right. yep. I got to, the, to, got to the Thursday before, uh, or two days prior to, to whenever the game was going to be played, and, um, and Alan Dyduck had, had hurt himself uh, at training. So um, I was just out, out in the gym with a couple of guys, and, and Nick sort of come out and grabbed me, and... Uh, called me into his office. I, I had no idea at this stage that the kid did hurt himself or, or anything like that, so I wasn't sure what was going on. Called me into the office and then sort of stuck his hand out and said, congratulations, you're in, mate. Did uh, just hurt himself. Uh, and it was all pretty surreal there for the next 24 hours, um, you know, calling family that and know that I was going to be, you know, playing my first AFL game and, and that the stage was going to be on Anzac Day. But it was something that um, Collingwood had a bit of a history of doing there. You know, Sherry Bellingham debuting the year before on Anzac Day. I think Travis Cloak debuted on Anzac Day. So it's something that Mick, I think he really loved doing, throwing the young kids out there on the big stage and seeing what they could do. So, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a great experience. But uh, in the end, it was a, I think it'll be remembered as that game where uh, David Zaharakis kicked that goal in the dying seconds. And I think, um, as my, my mates have Constantly let me know. I was the one coming across trying to lay that tackle on him as he, as he kicked the ball. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty memorable first game. So you failed in your tackle, but... You, you, you... I, I failed in my tackle, yes. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but to go back a bit further, your first kick in league football, Brent. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah first kick. Um, 
So started down in the goal square. Um, I played a lot of my footy as a, as a junior at full forward, and I was down there. And um, I, just, I, I remember it very clearly. Actually, the ball coming out of the middle, and Dane Swan sort of bursting through, and I sort of just let out to the pocket, and he put it out in front of me, and lucky enough to take the mark, and went back uh, and slotted the goal. So um, yeah, first first mark kick uh, turned out to, to be goal, which is um, yeah pretty crazy. So it was. Uh, as I said, yeah, very, very memorable first game of footy. So, so, so you've led to a pocket. So, was the was the kick from an impossible, almost impossible angle, or uh, not quite? I wouldn't say it's an impossible angle. No, 40, 40, 45 degree angle, I would say. But um, yeah, no, went through and um, yeah, happy days. So um, away we went. First game, first game down. All right. Um, so first kick and a goal in league footy. That's a well, it's not a small club, but it's certainly a distinguished club, and you're a part of it. Now, just just forward in, into 2010, you, you were certainly not an established member of the team until well into the season. Tell us about when you, the moment when you thought, geez, geez, I belong here, or I fit in here, and I'm going to keep my spot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that first half of the year, as I said, I played a couple of games towards the end of 09, and I got a taste of you know, what it was like. Um, and as probably my whole career, I, I never felt locked in or established uh, in the side. Um, mm-hmm. And that that first sort of half of 2010, I played most games. I missed I missed the first one or two, um, but was sort of just I was always just a role a role player. So I was coming in and I was playing across half forward, and um, yeah, I wasn't setting the world on fire. Getting you know 12, 13, 14 touches, kicking a goal here or there. I was playing um, as a defensive forward. And, and doing a couple of run with roles um, up around the midfield when needed. I uh, went out of the side probably halfway through that season uh, for three games, went back to the VFL where I, I just had to you know, get some confidence and, and I suppose believe that I belonged and, and could play at that level. And that was always the thing that sort of held me back early on. And I uh, went back and did that and was brought back into the side. I think it was about round 16 and we played St Kilda. Um, and it was probably as a club that we're in the same stage where we were, we were there about to sitting fourth or fifth and playing some good footy but St Kilda and Geelong were the two sides that um, were really the, the top dogs I suppose so to say and um, mm. so coming to the side in round 16 and we were playing St Kilda and I ended up kicking three goals that game and um, I, just, I, I remember it that that was sort of gave me a lot of confidence as a player to know that hey I, I, I can play at this level and I need to believe myself and back myself and to be a part of something special. And we also, as a side, went on to beat St Kilda by about six or seven goals uh, that game. And I, I remember that feeling and, and a lot of the guys playing with that day that that was the game, a turning point as a side, uh, that we knew that hey, we, we could do something pretty special this year. Um, and from there, as I said, my confidence as well as an individual uh, really grew from that game and went on to play some decent footy for, for the back end of that year and, um, yeah, be a part of what happened uh, later on uh, that season. I mean, yeah, Collingwood deserved winners in 2010, but you certainly weren't the dominant team for most of the season. You really only charged home, or perhaps after that St Kilda win, it sounds, like late in the season. Um, tell us about, just on grand final day, I mean, this, this must have been an amazing experience for a, a young bloke like yourself, inexperienced player. Um when the siren, final siren went, where were you and who did you turn to? Yeah, it was um, it was a pretty crazy feeling. Uh, as you said, being a young guy, I think it was only about my 24th or 25th game of footy and uh, I was 22 years of age and we, we had an extremely young side. I think we were the youngest premiership winning side. 
for the last 25, 30 years or something like that. But I remember, obviously, there was the draw um, the, the week before as well. So I remember yep. for that, I was, I, was, I was down across half forward and um, and so we, we were up we were up most of the game. We squandered a few chances throughout the game in that drawn drawn game and St Kilda charged home at us and, as you know, Brendan Goddard took that huge mark in the forward line and then back kicked the goal and then there was the, the bounce to the ball with, with Stephen Milne and, and all that. And I remember I was down across half forward when the siren went for that drawn game and um, the siren went and I was just sort of, as everyone was out there, just sort of standing there by myself and we were just we didn't know what was going to happen. We were sort of thinking or hoping surely they're going to play extra time, Michael, even though I knew that you know, if it's a draw, you come back the following week. But, um, yeah, just sort of standing there in a bit of shock and a bit of, it was pretty numb. But pretty much straight after that, we, we were down into the rooms and, and Mick sort of spoke to us. He was fantastic and was really quick to turn our attention to, like, hey, don't don't feel numb or hard done by and that we've got to come back and do it again. Feel grateful and privileged that, you know, how often do, do people get to play in two grand finals in the space of a week? So, um, and I think that was, a, that was, I think that was the turning point for us as a side where, we could have gone into ourselves and we had a function that night, um, which I know St Kilda cancelled and, and didn't go to. And um, we ended up still going on and doing that and getting around our family. And we were really quick to move on um, and look at it as a real positive and how lucky we were. And I think from that moment, we, we sort of knew as a side that we'd really, really let that slip. St Kilda probably should have won that game in the end. And yeah, we were lucky enough to come back the next week. And we just knew and had that feeling that we weren't going to let that happen again. And um, yeah, that we sort of had the game sewn up by three quarter time, and so we were able to enjoy it that last quarter. And I sort of struggled through most of the, that back end of the year with a bit of osteoarthritis, pubis, and stuff like that. So I was able to sort of spend majority of the last quarter on the bench and just relax and, and sit down there and enjoy it and sort of look around and take in the crowd and stuff like that. So I remember I was on the bench with a couple of my good mates in uh, Jared Blair uh, and Dane Bams, and we just sort of sat there just talking and, and enjoying it and the siren went and we, we, we all just ran to the ground and got around each other and yeah, one of the greatest days of my life, absolutely. Actually, Jared Blair's from, he's from Wontaggy, I think, isn't he? Like, very close by. He is, yeah, yeah, he's a Wontaggy boy, so he's only uh, just down the road, so I sort of knew him before coming to the club, which uh, which was fantastic as well. And we had a fair few gift sound boys that were that were in that side. Now, I mean, Dale Thomas uh, yep. from Druin, Scotty Pendlebury from Sale, uh, Lee Brown from Hayfield that I'm spoke about before, um, Tyson Goldsack from uh, out Packingham Way. So, yeah, we're, we're lucky enough to have about six or seven Gippsland boys in that side, which is pretty rare as well, I would have thought. Okay. Now, you had, you had, after that, you had, I mean, no one will ever take away your 2000 Premiership. You you became a better player as the years went on, but you just you struck, um, well, I was going to say tragedy, that's wrong. No, no one died, but you struck misfortune when um, <laughs> you did, you had two knee reconstructions in 2012 and 2014. Tell us about coming back from those. Yeah, so um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a whirlwind after we, we won that flag, and then um, started 2012. Um, I had a few injuries over 2011, so I hadn't, hadn't had a great run of it that season. But come back 2012 and was pretty fit, and it was uh, early on in the the NAB Cup against the Bulldogs. We were playing up at uh, Western Sydney. Um, the game against them it was pretty early on in the first quarter, and went down to, to pick up the ball, and an opposite player comes sliding in, and sort of took my my legs out from underneath me and um, heard, heard the snap in my knee. And it wasn't quite sure at the time what the go was, but later it was reaffirmed that, yeah, it was an ACL um, that was done. So that sort of wiped out that 2012 season, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I was, I suppose, lucky enough, you, you could say, um, that Andrew Cracker had, had come to the club and he did his ACL a week later. So um, we were fortunate enough to have each other to 
to come back from those injuries and, and go through all the rehab together because doing it yourself, like, it would just absolutely do your head in. Uh, so having each other to lean on and um, work with was really good and we were able to get back uh, within six months um, with both of our ACLs, which is really good. So I had me up and going for the start of next year. And um, as you said, uh, 2014 did did my other knee, uh, and that was in the, the second last game of the season. So, oh. which was it was probably probably tougher because I obviously doing one beforehand, I, I knew what was in front of me, I knew how much hard work. Um, yeah. But yeah, the two knees in a couple of years wasn't ideal. Well, you actually finished fifth in the best and fairest in 2014, so you had a great year playing mainly as a taggies. You began as a forward, and then you. You were remodelled, I suppose, as a, as a tagger later on. Is it fair to say that? And you had a, you had an excellent 2014 year, so it must have been quite good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I just like, come back from at the start of 2013 from that first knee, and I busted sort of. You know, we had a couple of guys that had come in and were playing really good across the role that I'd previously played as, as a half forward. So he wanted to invent a new role for me, and that was as a runway player. So I did that in 2013, and. Um, really enjoyed that role and it worked pretty well for us for most of the year and sort of went with that again in, in 2014 and um, had some massive jobs playing on some you know, some of the stars of the competition which was you know, just a thrill to sort of be up close and see why, what makes those guys so good and, and um, yeah, those, I love those challenges of, of, of having that pressure I suppose of you know, getting the job and knowing you're playing on the opposition's best player and knowing if I can do my job reasonably well, it's, it's going to go a fair way towards helping us win games. And um, yeah, as you said, went pretty well at it. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that second last game uh, playing old mate uh, Heath Shaw did uh, did my knee for the second time. <laughs> hey, what's Heath Shaw got to do with it? He was playing for GWS, was he? Or no? He was playing for GWS. Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, playing on him at the time, which was uh, yeah, always a bit of fun. Right, give you an earful and you get an injury. Um, did, did, did you have anything to say when you did your injury? I mean, Heath Shaw's got a renowned inability, uh, inability yeah, to keep quiet. Yeah, no, I think he knew at the time. So I went down and he, he I think he, he knew straight away as soon as I went down. So he was pretty good and, you know, he's, he's sensed what was to going call on. the trainers to get over and, you know, followed up with a phone call later on to, to wish him the best and see how it's going as well. So, you know, okay. he's, a, he's a good time. Well, who, who was your, um, I mean, you played on some. Well, the best opponents. Who was your toughest opponent in your AFL career? Yeah, it's a question I get a little bit. Um, it's pretty hard to split a couple of blokes. There was a uh, Ryan Griffin at, at his at his prime um, a few years ago. I played on him twice, and he got the better of me twice. His, his ability in close to to go through congestion and his agility to get out and breakaway speed um, was something that I found pretty tough. Um, Dyson Heppel as well. He's, he's always on the move. Um, he's never just caught standing still and he's considered about three-quarter pace for the whole game, um, which makes it pretty challenging. He doesn't get caught up or worried about, you know, the hip shoulders and, you know, the argy-bargy and anything like that. He just plays plays the game in a good spirit and gets on with it. Um, so you, you never feel like you can get in his head or and distract him. Um, the other one, uh, Sam Mitchell as well. Like, he's... Yeah, he's not the quickest bloke, as, as we all know, but he's, he's got the smart, um, and he's so clean with the footy and his ability to go, you know, left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot, off one step, um, makes him extremely, extremely hard to tag. And, and the support that he got from his teammates across the journey, um, in Hawthorne where was, uh, was pretty good as well. So those three guys, I, I often say to people, the three toughest, uh, opponents I played on. Okay. D- Dyson Apple, another Gippsland boy, actually, from Leon Gather, isn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, look, Sam Mitchell's about. We're speaking on a Wednesday morning. Sam Mitchell's about to actually announce his retirement today. Just, uh, yeah. just give us one passage of play where you thought 
my God, this this bloke is a good player when you were playing on Sam Mitchell. Uh, yeah, look, it's probably, um, you know, going back to standing around a, a, a stoppage and, you know, standing on him and um, he's just standing there and, you know, there's no body contact or anything like that and you just think, oh, he's obviously not going to be the go-to here, not going to be the ball, so right. take it easy. The ball, ball gets thrown up and he, he just turns around and goes whack straight, in, straight into my chest, um, gets two metres, ball gets palmed down, gets it, one step, left foot kick, um, hit rough head out of the lead and it was at that stage I was pretty young and it was pretty early in the game and I just thought geez how, how good is this bloke you know to, to do that the smart straight away to have me thinking that he's not going to be the go-to and then just off his left foot one step hit the full forward and pretty much sums up you know Hawthorne as a side why, why they're so good they're just full of players like that and yeah, um, yeah so uh, yeah that stands out pretty clear in my mind and he was just able to do that his whole career you're playing with a good picture there Brent you should be a Maybe you should be a commentator or something. Um, uh, you, you, you always remember those kicks that, uh, that, that get get uh, get kicked on you, especially young and when you're when it's all new, especially in your career. But so no body contact before the before the stoppage, and then yeah. as the ball's up in the air, what what just to just just to turn around with his with his left arm and just a, a whack straight into into my sternum, I suppose, which. You know, pushes me back off balance with the palm, um, and, and, and outstretched with with the palm. palm. Yeah, with the palm. So almost like he's fending off, and it was just just really quick. And as I said, because he's not the quickest guy, he had to rely on his smarts and those little things. So him to be able to do that to push me back a meter, and him to take off, it, it automatically opens up two three meter gap, and away he goes. And you give someone like Sam Mitchell, you know, half a second, um, yep. you know, he's going to cut you up with his disposal, and away you go. And, that, and that's exactly what happened. And I was still watching now. And, and I just I see him do that to opposition players, and um, yeah, just what what made him a fantastic player um, for a long time. Yeah, his ability off one step to swivel yeah. to swivel and balance and distribute with almost, perfection almost every time is has probably been unparalleled, I would think. Anyway, we can't talk about Sam Mitchell too much, today, Brent. <laughs> um, you, you retired. You your AFL career, career ended. Man, you were you were a young bloke. You were twenty eight. Um, yep. Was it your decision or the club's decision? Like, is it, had your body just let you down, or was it just time to move on to something else? Uh, yeah, it was. It was probably a combination of things. Really, it was. You know, the the, the couple of knee injuries, uh, being out of the game, you know, missing missing that bit of footy. Um, it sort of took away um, a lot of my attributes as well. My ability to, to sort of jump. I lost. I lost my pace um, as well. So, and obviously. We, we watch AFL putting now and you can just see how quick it is and, and how fit you've got to be and, and powerful and it's such a transition game and you've got to be up, down, up, down, you know, straight away. And so th- those sort of things, they, they sort of really hurt me. Um, and, and as I said, the injuries as well. And having been, you know, in the game for 10 years, it sort of just mentally as well took its toll on me. Um, I, I suppose I lost. I was starting to lose that enjoyment for it. Mm. It started to become a bit of a chore as well for so long. Um, and I suppose the fact as well that because I was in and out of the side and um, there was, we had a lot of, we got a lot of young talent coming through the football club. And as I said, the game had changed a bit. So there was a combination of things there. And me and Bucks, he was really good about it. We had a conversation probably about four weeks out from the end of the season. And um, I sort of knew I was, I was done and I'd had enough as well. And, and he, and what him and the list management team, they were sort of thinking along the same lines. So it was just an open conversation. And he sort of said, 
wanted to keep me at the football club in some capacity. Um, if that was the way I wanted to go, and I was happy to, to give the game away, if I didn't want to try and go play somewhere else for another year or so. And um, yeah, that's that's why it worked out. So it was sort of mutual in, in the end that we both sort of agreed and thought that you know, the the time was up. So, um, but yeah, absolutely loved it. A, discuss- a discussion over weeks, which seems to be how these things work at AFL footy these days, which is a which is quite a mature way to approach it. And obviously, I mean Nathan Buckley is on record as having a high regard for you, so they did keep you at the club. Tell us about your club at the your role at the club since you stopped playing. Yeah, so as I said, he wanted to keep me down in some capacity, as did the the higher powers um, at the football club, and um, we didn't know in what capacity that was going to be we so there was a few conversations that took place and in the end it was um it was agreed upon that they really wanted me to stay there and, and be involved in player welfare and, and player development which is it's becoming a really really important role um at it afl level for, for for all football clubs and um and i sort of got a, got a taste of that in my last couple of years we sort of not knowing what i really wanted to do when it was when i was going to be finished up playing football and and you see it so often with with so many guys, you know, whether they've been in the system two, three years or they've been in the system 10 plus years, you, you see instances of guys that come out of the game and they're lost for a while because they're just not prepared and they don't know what they're going to do. And they go from, you know, being in an AFL environment um, and being on, on some decent money and um, thinking, being really comfortable to, to going out of the system really quickly um, and trying to find a job and mm. the different the lifestyle change and things like that. So it was something that, in my last couple of years, I'd, I'd really thought about, and, and that was the role that the guys, um, the football club, wanted me to take up, and really emphasise that. And, and I suppose being fresh out of the game too, from a player welfare aspect, and, and coming through some injuries, um, success as a player, playing in a premiership, uh, being in and out of the side through form, I'd experienced a lot of different things from that aspect as well. So I, I, I guess they thought that I was in a good position to come in and with my relationship with guys at the football club to sort of emphasise and, and help guys that may go through those sort of issues and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've been doing that um, since I've, I've finished up and, um, yeah, really, really enjoying it. And I suppose it's made the transition out of the game a lot more easier for me, um, still being around the football club and around a lot of the people that I've worked with closely for, for a long period of time. So, all right, so today's a Wednesday. Besides talking to me for too long, what, 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 else, yep. what, what else will your day entail? Like... In your role as a player welfare manager, who yeah. will you talk to today? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really it's a really unpredictable job. It's one of those things where you could go in, you know, for one week, two weeks, and it's really quiet. There's everything's going smoothly around the football club. A lot of the guys are happy. There's off field. They're, they're going well. There's guys that are, you know, they're doing their studies that you help set up. You know, what do they want to do at university or helping guys do different work placements at different jobs and things like that. Um, but then you could have a week where um, something someone comes in and they've had an issue at home, like they've split from their partner or they've had a family member that's passed away or mm. um, as we're seeing at, at, at a few different clubs this year, you know, have guys that have you know, come out and they've, they've got, they're struggling with depression. And, yep. um, so there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different little things that can happen like that. And I suppose you've got to be across it all and, and be there and build that support network and, that the players trust and can come to at any time and know that you've got their back and you're there to help them with different things like that. So there are a few of the things that can that can pop up. But as I said, it's a really unpredictable nature and, and you never know what's going to happen from day to day. Okay. I'd love to drill down a bit further. Clearly, you've got a capacity to empathise with fellow players through, through yeah. I'd say, through what you've been through as a player and also 
it must be there must be a, a large part of your personality where you're just a, a caring uh, sort of fellow like that. But look, we really should talk about Kilcunder Bass before we go. Just to, how's your form been this year, Brent? Playing in uh, in the West Gippsland Footy League. It's a it's a really good competition. The the standard is is quite high, and um, you know we're, we're going okay. We've our first couple of games we sort of struggled. We had a couple of narrow losses, and then we got on a bit of a roll. Won five or six games in a row, and um, the last couple of weeks we sort of just lost our mojo a little bit. So we've got three games to go, and um, we're one of four teams that are that are fighting for two spots um, for the final. So um, we're all on the same amount of points. And I think there's about only two percent that splits it. So it's, it's a huge last three games, and you know if we can pinch two, um, at least two of those, we, we should make finals. But um, it's been a sort of season where if you know, you're, you're off one or two percent, um, the opposition side can can knock you over. So it's a very even competition, which uh, makes a good football. Well, on Saturday you lost to Nano Goon by 15 points, so there's another club around the mark. We did. In fact, in fact, yep. they're, they're fifth and you're seventh, both on 32 points. So as you say, it is it is close. Yes. Um, I'll just Tyler Payroli was best on ground, the Nano Goon player. Chris Andre is best for Kilcunder Bass. Jason Wells kicked three. Brent McCaffrey kicked one. What about this game? Your 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 game and um, the teams as a whole to lose narrowly to a fellow final aspirant. Yeah, Nano Goon have been playing some fantastic footy, particularly in the last eight or nine weeks. I think they've won seven or eight of their last nine, uh, including the one on the weekend. So. So they're really up and about and really hitting their straps at the right time. And I think they play a pretty similar brand of footy to what we do. We love to be a really, really strong, contested side that, that just cracks in and relies on a lot of pressure um, to and, and, and just cracks in and, and a lot of role players. So we knew it was going to be a huge game. Um, and if we could win, it would really separate us from them and be one, one team that we, we now wouldn't have to worry about. But as, uh, as it would have... We, uh, we we got done, um, and we, we didn't play poorly. I think they they were just better for longer um, than us. They got the jump on us in the first quarter, and uh, with a really strong wind, as you know, the conditions on the weekend um, were uh, were horrible for for footy. Really windy, and they kicked six holes for in that first quarter, and it sort of we, it was just too much. So we were able to peg them back slowly every single quarter. But um, yeah, they were too good. Um, they're a really good side, and I think they're going to be really hard to beat for the rest of the year. So we need to bounce back strongly. This week to uh, to keep ourselves and our chances alive for finals. Well, you kick one goal. Where do you play yourself? Do you play yourself full forward or more on the ball? Or... Yeah, yeah. So I played in the back, mate. So, yeah, no, I had, had a run around in there. So I've been doing that for most of the year, uh, just going through the midfield. And, um, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. It's, we've got a pretty pretty good midfield. Chris Andres, as you said, got best on ground. And he's, he's, he's one of the best country footballers going around and won a couple of league medals as well. So, um, yeah, we've got a good unit in there. I think for us, it's just... We've just got to be consistent in the way we play and um, from week to week. A lot of it's above the shoulders for us. And when we're on, um, our best is very good. But when we're off, um, we leave us vulnerable and, uh, to defeat. So um, that's, that's the key for us going forward. And hopefully we can get that right for the last three weeks. Oh, did, uh, Brent, just on the website, you, you're listed as number zero like the, when, the, when yeah. the, team, the team lists are given. What, what number did you wear for Kilcunder Bass? Uh, yeah, no, I actually do wear number zero, mate. I do. Um, number so zero? I do. I wear number zero. Yeah, so it's sort of like a bit of a tongue-in-cheek this start of the year. I sort of just said to to the the footy manager at the club, I, <laughs> is, is number zero an option? He sort of, he sort of yeah, he gave me that reaction. And he just did a bit, of a, a bit of a chuckle, and he said, why is that? And I said, oh, my favourite athlete uh, is Russell Westbrook, and um, he's an NBA basketball, and he wears number zero. So I just sort of threw it out there, just thinking, oh, no, you can't do it. But... 
he came back to me a week later and said, yeah, no, I'm good. If you, if you want to wear number zero, we'll go with it. So <laughs> I've gone with it, and I've, I've, I've caught plenty of feedback across the year from uh, the opposition across the fence, that's for sure. So what, what, they say, what, what do they say? What do they say? What do they say? Get a kick uh, number zero. What do they, you know, what do they really, say to you? You're really good humour, like uh, get a real number and, you know, exact number zero for how many goals you kicked this year. <laughs> you know, things, things along those lines. So it's really good, but, um, yeah, quite funny at times. I think Russell Westbrook, he plays for Oklahoma City, doesn't he? I, I, Oklahoma City, yeah, yeah. He's just on the league MVP. There, so right. Okay. Um, and it, uh, Nana Goon famously call themselves the Gooners, one of the great yep. nicknames. What, what do Kilcunder Bass players call themselves on the field? Come on. The killers, uh, we're, we're the we're the Kilcunder Bass Panthers. We are so um, yeah. I've never heard of another team called the Panthers or the Gooners for that matter as well. So no, there are some unique teams to get around our league. <laughs> All right, sounds like you're enjoying yourself, um, Brent McCaffrey. And good luck with that run into the finals. Might be like 2010 where you get a bit of momentum like the Magpies. Um, yes, Brent McCaffrey, the only player to wear number zero in Australian football. <laughs> Heard about. Thanks for coming on PD Footy. Good luck with your role at Collingwood. That, that that's worth another interview, I'd suggest. But um, uh, and good luck with Kilcunder Bass. And just to the listeners, you'd be helping me and hopefully doing yourselves a favour if you subscribe on iTunes to PD Footy so that it drops into your inbox uh, when I upload it each week. Uh, but once again, thanks Brent McCaffrey for coming on PD Footy. No worries, thanks mate. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it.